Hi guys, welcome back to another episode of Two Sisters and a TV. Today I want to focus on a TV show that is very special to me. One that I really loved growing up and it is still entertaining and bringing joy to people everywhere. It's also a TV show that is celebrating its anniversary next week. And that TV show is Three's Company. On the 15th of this month, Three's Company will celebrate its 45th anniversary. Because on that day, March 15, 1977, Three's Company made its debut over on ABC. Of course, Three's Company, as some of you already know, was originally, it comes from the British version called Man About the House. Same concept, same everything. Some of the earlier scripts, especially the pilot in particular, pretty identical to the first, to the pilot for Three's Company. Now, Three's Company had three pilots, actually. Three's Company shot its first pilot in 1975. All three pilots featured John Ritter, Norman Fell, and Audra Lindley. However, there was always an issue, it seemed like, with the girls, or one of the girls, or both the girls, so that's why there were three pilots. The first pilot, uh, the names were even different of the roommates. Jack was not Jack, he was David, and he was not a cooking student, he wanted to be an actor instead of a chef. The girls, I do not recall the brunette roommate's name, but I think her name might have been Jenny. And the blonde was Samantha. Now, the brunette was portrayed by Valerie Curtin. The blonde, I do not recall that actress's name. And of course, you had Audra Lindley and Norman Fell, who were the landlords. So the pilot was shot in 1976. And first of all, Three's Company was not without controversy because in the mid-70s, just the concept of a man living with two women and he's not married to either of them, very, very risque at the time. The first time that we saw any kind of a scenario along those lines was in an episode of Sanford and Son. This was during the 1974-75 season when Fred's niece, Elizabeth, came to town, came to uh, visit Fred, and she was going to be going to school at USC. Well, her roommates were a girl and a guy, which, again, very, very racy. And, of course, I mean, in the end, uh, the guy's mother objected to him living with two girls, so they ended up getting a third girl as their roommate. But that just shows you how very complicated it was going to be to actually put a TV show like that on the air. So ABC definitely had a lot of jitters about Three's Company right from the beginning. So anyway, not only was the, the first pilot needing to be reshot because they wanted different girls. But again, there was a lot of anticipation about, you know, how is this going to go? How is this going to be seen? I mean, putting on a show of this nature, was it even going to be possible? Because you have to remember that the 70s was a completely different era in a lot of ways. Now today, a TV show like Three's Company, I mean, no one would even give it a second thought, but back then, it was just a topic that had never been that had never been seen on TV before, minus except for the San Francisco episode. And of course, that was a subplot within an episode. So the episode did not revolve around the three roommates, uh, but it was just something that had never been done before, not in the U.S. Man About the House, very popular show, ran from 1972 to 1976, and it also had a spinoff. The landlords had their own spinoff titled George and Mildred, which was also successful. Uh, But anyway, the first pilot had to be reshot, and so they got different actresses. They kept, of course, John Ritter, and they changed his name to Jack. They kept the landlords, and they replaced the girls with Joyce DeWitt as Janet, and Susan Lanier as Chrissy. Now, Susan Lanier, a very pretty blonde, had been seen over on a few episodes of Welcome Back Cotter as Bambi. Very hot, pretty sexy sweat hog. So they shot the pilot in 1976, reshot it, 
and they, you know, thought that they had to go with the network. Uh, Fred Silverman, who was ABC's president, was really behind Three's Company. Fred Silverman had turned ABC at that point into the number one network on television for the very first time. ABC always trailed behind both CBS and NBC, but for the very first time, it was the number one network in the country because Silverman had a knack of knowing what shows to bring to ABC, and he knew how to really get the viewers to tune in to that programming. So he knew Three's Company was going to be another hit for the network, and so he was behind it all the way from the very beginning. He had no qualms about it, no issues, was not nervous, Um, and he wanted this show to go ahead and hit the network and he didn't care about the controversy and you know he was ready to go to go ahead and, and he was behind it all the way however with the second pilot he didn't care for Susan Lanier not sure why but he wanted her recast so there was a another calling casting call rather for another blonde you know uh, to be the third roommate Suzanne Summers, who had been in American Graffiti, she was the blonde in the T-Bird, of course. She'd also been in an episode of One Day at a Time. I think she'd also done an episode of The Six Million Dollar Man. Um, or maybe, I don't I think she did The Rockford Files. She did The Six Million Dollar Man after she became on Three's Company. Uh, or came to Three's Company. But Suzanne went in, her agent let her know about the part. She went in, half-heartedly read with Joyce DeWitt. She had auditioned for like nine pilots. None of them had come to fruition. So she was just pretty much just kind of going through the motions. She went in, read with Joyce. The suits liked their chemistry. And of course, as we know, she got the part. So they shot the pilot for the third time in January 1977. With it finally making its debut that March. And another TV show also made its debut that very same night. Right after Three's Company, Eight is Enough made its debut. And again, that's going to be for another episode, Eight is Enough. But um, the ratings for Three's Company, not bad with that pilot episode. The network, of course, again, uncomfortable, uneasy. So they only ordered six episodes for the first season. Three's Company was a mid-season replacement show, having made its debut in March. So they wanted to round out the rest of the season. And so they had five additional episodes filmed. So that way they could finish out the 76-77 season. Well, it seemed as though with every new episode that would air, the ratings went up a little bit more and more and more. So people were tuning in to this brand new show about the really cute, adorable guy and the really cute, pretty girls and how they were going to continue to keep this secret from Mr. Roper that Jack was actually a straight guy, always hitting on to the girls, always hitting on to girls in general. Now, of course, as you know, Mrs. Roper found out in the second episode that, you know, she figured it out that, you know, Jack wasn't gay. But that was the facade that they had to use so that Jack could be able to live with them. Of course, as you also know, in the pilot of Three's Company, Janet and Chrissy had just thrown a goodbye party for their previous roommate, Eleanor. She just left, moved out, had a baby. And so they, you know, were in search of another roommate to help, you know, of course, with sharing the expenses. And they find Jack asleep. He'd been at the party. They found him asleep the following morning in the bathtub. And they got along so well, liked him. He liked them. They asked him to move in. Of course, Mr. Roper was completely uh, not in favor of that. That was out of the question. That was not going to be happening Be happening in his building. So Janet came up with the idea to tell the Ropers that Jack was gay. And that was one of the running gags throughout the entire series. Um, but, um, of course, as I said, Three's Company finished out the 76-77 season on a very high note. And so the uh, producers, the network was very pleased. And so for the following season, they ordered a full season of episodes. Now, when Three's Company went on hiatus, um, Suzanne Summers, who her whole goal with Three's Company was she really wanted to be famous. She really wanted success. 
because if you ever read Suzanne's first book, and she's an accomplished author, but her very first book, I read that my last year of high school, and I really gained an enormous amount of respect for her after having read that book, Keeping Secrets. She talks about the traumatic childhood that she had. She grew up with an alcoholic father. She had a disastrous first marriage. She had to drop out of college when she became pregnant. Then she was a single mother raising her son on her own. She was struggling financially. Very compelling account of her early life before, you know, she became an overnight sensation. So Suzanne wanted security for herself and for her son. And she basically wanted to be the next Farrah Fawcett. That's why she went and she hired Farrah Fawcett's agent, Jay Bernstein, to represent her. Now, in the beginning, he was not exactly gung-ho on the idea, but he did admire her energy and her tenacity, so he agreed to go ahead and take her take her on and, you know, be her agent. And that's what really propelled Suzanne to stardom outside of Three's company as well as within it because, you know, she had Jay Bernstein managing her and he really knew how to make sure that she was out there. You know, apart from Three's company, Suzanne was on Title Tales, Match Game, the Six Million Dollar Man, Bow the Network Stars. He got her a deal with CBS to make TV movies over there. So he really knew how to propel her into the stratosphere of celebrities fame. She was on magazine covers. And honestly, I think that for John and Joyce, they were not interested in the fame. John Ritter was used to fame. His father was Tex Ritter. Tex Ritter, of course, you know, very famous cowboy, singer, actor. Um, He's known as a singing cowboy. So he grew up in an environment of fame. So he was already used to it. Joyce DeWitt was just wanting to just be an actress. You know, she was a college graduate. She graduated from Ball University. um, And she just wanted to, to just be an actress and to exercise her craft. But Suzanne was the one who really wanted to be a star. And of course, she became one. And it began to interfere with her dealings with the other cast members on the show, but we'll get into that a little bit later. So anyway, Three's Company is back for the 1978-77, rather, 78 season. Extremely popular. That's when Three's Company really, really exploded on television and within the ratings because everybody was watching it. Everyone was talking about it. It was getting a lot of attention, a lot of press in the media. Um, the cast was on the show of Dinah. They um, they were on Dinah's talk show, rather. Um, they won the People's Choice Award, a favorite new comedy. Suzanne won for favorite new star. So everyone was talking about Three's Company, and it was a huge, enormous success. And it finished out the 1977-78 season at number three, right behind Happy Days and right ahead, just ahead of Charlie's Angels. So it was in the top five. And of course, I fell in love with Three's Company during that time. I discovered it by accident. I was channel surfing one night and I ran across their Christmas episode, the only one that they ever did. And, you know, I sat down, the show was already about five minutes, it was already about five minutes, you know, into the episode. And I sat down and I began to watch it. And I would say within 10, 15 minutes, I was absolutely head over heels in love with it. I thought it was the best new show, you know, that, that, you know, ever. Well, next to Charlie's Angels, of course, that was my all time favorite, but I fell in love with Three's Company, and I actually I actually introduced my mother to Three's Company because, um, you know, I was telling her about it. You know, she had to watch this new show. I was talking about Jack and Dan and Chrissy and the Ropers and all this. So finally, one Tuesday night, she sat down with me and watched it, and she loved it too, particularly John Ritter. And fortunately, she didn't see Three's Company as this scandalous, inappropriate show for a kid to be watching. I'm very thankful for that. Uh, My mom was very liberal when it came to my TV watching down through the years. I basically could watch whatever I wanted. She trusted my judgment. And I introduced her to several TV, TV shows. I introduced her to Dallas, introduced her to The Incredible Hulk, introduced her to The Facts of Life. So um, that was not a problem, fortunately, in our household. But um, 
There were a lot of people who did not want their kids to watch Three's Company. I mean, you there are Three's Company groups on Facebook. I'm in a couple of them. And when the t- when the subject comes up, there are, you know, people who say that, well, as a kid, I couldn't watch Three's Company. My parents, my mom, my dad thought that was just too racy. So I didn't get to watch it until I became an adult. And actually, there, again, like I said, there was controversy because people like Jerry Falwell and other religious groups were protesting against both Three's Company and Charlie's Angels. And Sears was a sponsor of both shows. And so the protests began to come against Sears. They wanted Sears to stop sponsoring those shows. And I believe that they did pull their sponsorship. But fortunately, it didn't matter because the shows were both so overwhelmingly successful that they had so many other sponsors, losing Sears did not make very much difference. So during the 1977-78 season, and here's what I was talking about just now about Suzanne's fame beginning to kind of cause trouble behind the scenes. Three's Company had become so popular and so successful that Newsweek wanted to do a cover story on the show. So they decided to, and of course it was a very exciting thing for for the, the three roommates because they were going to be on the cover of Newsweek. It was a really big deal. So they went to go and, you know, do the photo shoot for the cover and they decided to put Suzanne in a negligee and a teddy and Suzanne was forefront within the shoot. John and Joyce were pretty much behind her in the background. It's kind of like Diner Ross and the Supremes. You remember when uh, the name changed because they were the Supremes and they became Diner Ross and the Supremes. If you watch the Ed Sullivan show, American Bandstand, all those, you will see Diana Ross without front and center and the Supremes were way in the back. Well, that's pretty much what they were doing in regard to this photo shoot with Newsweek. Suzanne was front and center. John and Joyce were behind her, and they were not happy about that. They thought that they were going to be all doing a picture together, not being in the background, not being pushed aside in favor of Suzanne being in her teddy. Of course, Suzanne didn't see what the problem was. She didn't see what was wrong with it. And she, of course, liked being out front and center anyway. And so long story short, if you you Google Newsweek 3's company, the cover is going to come up if you haven't seen it. And you've got Suzanne dominating the cover. She's well out front in the teddy. And you basically have John and Joyce just cropped in. Joyce down at the bottom on the left, John just above on the left as well, kind of peering down Suzanne's teddy. It was a sleazy cover in my opinion, you know, very fake, very, uh, you know, totally photoshopped, not a good cover at all. And so, you know, there was some behind the scenes hostility It was kind of John and Joyce versus Suzanne there for a while, but fortunately they came together and they worked out their differences and they, you know, everything went back to normal. Now, John and Suzanne, very close friends, very, very, very close friends. Joyce and Suzanne got along the best when the show was at its beginning, but as Suzanne's fame continued to rise and and really climb, she began to become kind of full of herself and that you know, kind of drove a wedge between she and Joyce because Joyce was not there for fame. Joyce was a very private person. She didn't want stardom. She just wanted to be a successful actress, as I said previously. So that definitely caused a wedge. And, you know, Suzanne was got to the point where she was having all of her photo shoots and having all of these PR and press people on the set of the show. And it got to the point where Norman fell out loud complain saying why do I have to hear about how popular she is all the time and then of course um, John and Joyce were having to do all of these extra cover shoots basically in favor of Suzanne and they really didn't want to do these all of these photo shoots they just were not interested in that they weren't there for that 
doing one here and there was fine, but they really didn't like taking a whole, doing a whole lot of magazine covers and all of the PR stuff. But they went along with it to help Suzanne. I mean, Suzanne was on a lot of covers by herself, but Three's Company magazine covers tended to be even better sellers. And so that's why they kind of encouraged, you know, John and Joyce to participate. By the way, there is a wonderful book about the history of Three's Company called Come and Knock on Our Door. It's written by Chris Mann. Now, the book is out of print. It's very pricey. It can be hard to find, and when you do find it, it can run anywhere from like, I would say 50 to 70 bucks, believe it or not. You might be able to find it for around 30, but if you're a fan of Three's Company, you must get that book because the book talks about all things Three's Company. It talks about the beginning of this, the show, the inception of it. It talks about, you know, filming the pilot, how it was filmed three times, the actresses. It talks about the, the, the explosion of Three's Company onto the television landscape. It talks about all the cast changes. I mean, everything in that book that you would ever even think about knowing about Three's Company or wanting to know is in that book. It's a superb book. I give it not only five stars, I give it 10 stars. It's just that good. So if you can, go and and look for that. Google it, see if you can find it because it's a must-have. So anyway, the 1977-78 season comes to a close and then we go into 1978-79. By that point, Three's Company, again, you know, still bigger than ever. Some weeks in the Nielsen ratings, Three's Company was the number one show in the country. That's just how big... Three's Company had become. And of course, you know, more of the, 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 the funny innuendos and the misunderstandings and all of that was still going on. And, uh, you know, still great to watch, funny and hilarious and, and comical and, and touching at the same time, as you see just how close friends these three were. And I really have come to appreciate that part of the show even more as I've gotten older, the close friendship amongst the three roommates. But by season, uh, that particular season, you were seeing more of Larry, Jack's best friend Larry, played by Richard Klein. You were seeing him more and more. And by the next season, he became a regular, which was a good thing as Larry was really a good addition to the show. He brought extra comedy and he and John Ritter had a great chemistry. So, um, you know, that was a really good thing. But by 1979, the producers were really urging Norman Fell and Audra Lindley to follow in the footsteps of the British version and go into their own spinoff, The Ropers. Now, Audra Lindley was all in favor of it. She really wanted to do it. She was just gung-ho about it. Norman Fell, on the other hand, not so much because he had been a character actor, you know, for a long time. He'd been in Ocean's Eleven. He'd been in Bullet with Steve McQueen. He'd done episodes of Bewitched, Rhoda, also The Fugitive. So he'd done a lot of acting and he knew the value of of being on a successful, steady, top 10 TV show and how you really need to stick with it and not deviate from it. But he was pretty much outvoted. I mean, everyone was just wanting to go ahead and do this and he was pretty much a man standing alone. So he reluctantly agreed, but he did request from the producers that if the show did not make it, could he be able to go back to Three's Company? And they agreed. So with that stipulation in place, he went ahead and, you know, went on and did the Ropers. So you saw the Ropers sell the building and then move to another townhouse, not too far away, about 20 minutes away from the original, you know, apartment complex where they had been. They moved in next door to the Brooks family. You had the stuffy Jeffrey Brooks portrayed by... Jeffrey Tambor, and then you had his wife, and you had the little boy, David, and uh, Three's Company, of course, um, was the lead-in show for the Ropers, and as a result, when the uh, 1978-79 season came to a close, the Ropers was a top 10 show as well, but that's because it followed Three's Company. Um, Honestly, I didn't see the Ropers being on very long. I just didn't see it having the material, the tools, or the foundation 
to have a very long run. And unfortunately, I was right. What happened next was that for the fall of 1979-1980, ABC moved the Ropers to Saturday night at 8 Eastern, which was definitely a very bad idea because the Ropers was not the strongest TV show anyway. And it definitely was not the TV show to lead the Saturday night lineup. Every TV show is not a good leader. Now, you have had plenty out there. Friends was a lead TV show, The Cosby Show, um, All in the Family, The Mary Tyler Moore Show, Happy Days. But every TV show just doesn't have the ability to be the, the, the lead show for the night. So you had the Ropers at 8. At 8.30, you had this really cute comedy that was not, not on very long called Detective School. I loved Detective School. It was about these adults who, well, they were in detective school. They wanted to be detectives and they were in detective school. It starred Randolph Mantooth and um, LaWanda Page was also in it from Sanford and Son. And this really cute blonde, uh, Melinda Nod. It was a good show. I wish that ABC had maybe changed this change it on the schedule and given it more time to get an audience but unfortunately they did not and it didn't stay on very long to my disappointment and dismay um but then of course after detective school then you had of course love boat and fantasy island but um the ratings for the ropers began to quickly slip and decline and they declined very dramatically and very drastically as a matter of fact when they made the decision, ABC, to switch the Ropers to Saturday nights, Norman Fell went to New York. He flew to New York on his own dime and asked them to change the night of the Ropers because he knew that that night was not going to be a good night for that show. The night and the time slot were a death sentence to the show. ABC turned him down. They refused to change the night of the show or the time slot so it stayed on saturday nights at eight o'clock and by the spring of 1980 it was canceled so of course norman fell went back to the producers of three's company and he reminded them about their deal and said well hey i mean as you can see the ropers ended um you know i'm ready to come back to three's company well the producers definitely had a blow in mind for norman fell They told him that the Ropers had lasted for a season and a half, which it did. And they said the agreement was that if the Ropers did not make it to a season, then he could go back to Three's Company. But since it lasted a season and a half, he could not. The deal was obsolete. So the Ropers were basically gone. They appeared in Three's Company one more time. They came back for an episode, I believe it was called The Night of the Ropers. It was the highest rated episode of that season. And then after that, um, they were never seen again, unfortunately. Now, of course, with the departure of the Ropers, the trio had to have another landlord. You couldn't have Three's Company and not have a landlord. So the producers decided they wanted to get someone like Don Knotts. Well, they decided, um, well, let's just go and get Don Knotts. Because Don Knotts was available. He was not doing a lot of acting by that point in his career. He'd done The Love Boat. He'd done The Apple Dumpling Gang with Tim Conway and Bill Bixby. He had done one of the Herbie movies also for Disney. But he was definitely available. And when they offered him the part of Three's Company, uh, on Three's Company, he grabbed it. Didn't hesitate. And, of course, he became the new landlord Mr. Ralph Furley, the ladies' man that none of the ladies seemed to be very interested in. But he was adorable. He was hilariously funny. I thought at the time he was a brilliant addition to Three's Company. I thought that was one of the best moves in TV history, and I still do. Don Knotts, of course, very funny man, very talented, and he fit in so well with all the zaniness of Three's Company, and he and John Ritter in particular had a wonderful chemistry, and the thing I liked about Mr. Furley was that as time went on, he became more of a friend to the kids upstairs, 
Mr. Roper, I like Mr. Roper too. Don't get me wrong. Mr. Roper was, 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 he had a drier wit than um, Mr. Furley. Mr. Furley was just outright zany. Mr. Roper was more reserved and he had a dry humor. And of course, I love the way that he would look into the camera and he would smile whenever he would tell one of his jokes, particularly to Mrs. Roper. Um, but Mr. Roper kind of had a distance with the kids. He didn't really consider them as friends. Not quite. He considered himself to be more of a landlord than a friend. Um, but Mr. Furley considered them to be friends. And they did become good friends as the years went on. And, um, you know, Don Knotts, again, fit in great with the cast. And he, of course, was a wonderful addition to the show. That wardrobe alone was a great addition to the show fit in perfectly with all the craziness that was going on, you know, with, with the kids and, and, and all the stuff that was happening, you know, in the building. So it just fit. And like I said, Larry was a regular by that point as well. And then you had the brief introduction to Lana Shields, who also lived in the building. Lana was this sexy, hot, older woman who had the hots for Jack. But Jack, despite the fact that he was a serious ladies man and a serial womanizer, was not interested in Lana. Don't know why. That was kind of weird. I'm thinking that maybe it was because Lana was older or because she was the one who was pursuing him so doggedly. Of course, Mr. Furley was madly in love with Lana. Unfortunately, um, that was not reciprocated. But um, the, the producers didn't know what to do with Lana. So she disappeared pretty quickly. Uh, Anne, Wirt, Anne Wedgworth, who portrayed Lana, said in interviews over the years that she really didn't get the warmest reception from the, the two female leads. She felt that they thought that she was being intrusive, kind of, they didn't really want her there. They didn't need, need another uh, female on the show. So she didn't have the best experience working with either of them. She said the best thing about Three's Company, in addition to, of course, the money and the fame, was working with Don Knotts, which would have been funny to see. I mean, hey, who knows what would have happened between Mr. Furley and Lana later on down the road? You never know. I think they would have been a pretty hilariously funny married couple had they gone down that road. But unfortunately, they decided to just write her out. And, you know, that left a very bitter taste in her mouth. But she did go on with her career and she ended up years later on Evening Shade and, you know, did other work. So fortunately, she kept her career going, which, you know, was good for her. So in 1980, Three's Company, again, you know, killing it in the ratings, very successful, still funny. Um, it was time for the cast to have their contract nego negotiations, uh, the three leads. So John and Joyce signed their contracts, no big deal. Suzanne, who had fired Jay Bernstein was now, and who was now being represented by her husband, Alan Hamill, who had no experience being an agent or a manager, uh, decided that she wanted a big hefty raise. Now, Suzanne claims, even to this day, she wanted this big raise because um, the men on TV were being paid way more than the women were, which that that's true. However, Penny Marshall and Sidney Williams, when they negotiated, renegotiated with um, ABC for Laverne and Shirley, they got a pretty hefty raise. Um, but Suzanne wanted to be paid more than John or Joyce. She wanted $150,000 an episode. She wanted to be paid basically what Carol O'Connor was being paid for Archie Bunker's plays, what Larry Hagman was getting paid for Dallas, what Alan Ald was getting paid for MASH. But the difference was that those guys were the stars of their show. Suzanne was not the star of Three's Company. I mean, that's what she and Alan Hamill thought. But I mean, I've never seen Suzanne Summers as the star of Three's Company. I mean, Three's Company was an ensemble show anyway. And, you know, Chrissy brought a lot to the table, but she was not the star. If there was a star of Three's Company, it was John Ritter. Um, but, you know, they didn't see it that way. And not only did she want this astronomically high raise, but she also wanted 10% of the show's profits. So she really wanted an insane deal. And, you know, she just basically was dismissed. She was just like, is she serious? They did offer her a raise of, I think, 50000 an episode, but that, you know, she turned that down. They turned it down. 
And so when the show came back for 1980, 1981, Suzanne was back with the first episode, but then all of a sudden Suzanne was missing. All of a sudden, oh, Chrissy's off visiting her mother, visiting her parents. Well, behind the scenes, Suzanne was being very defiant and trying to stand her ground in the wrong way and was missing episodes, not showing up for rehearsals, not showing up for tapings. It got to the point where they would have one script with Chrissy dialogue and they would have another script without Chrissy in it. They started to give Chrissy's lines over to Mr. Furley and the the TV show was pretty much being held hostage by Suzanne because you just didn't know what she was going to do next and it it had everyone really on edge and the show could have ended up dipping it did dip in the ratings it did dip but didn't dip too far down because the the cast was so talented and they all came together to keep the show going despite the whole Suzanne debacle and you know uh, but fortunately they were able to pull that off now some tv shows when those kind of things happen the viewers leave and they don't come back because over on the dukes of hazard in the fall of 1982 when tom schneider tom wopat and john schneider left and they replaced bo and luke were replaced by coy and vance for several months well when bo and luke did come back the ratings never did rebound so, I mean, you know, the show stayed on for two more years, but the ratings never got back to where they were. They were never a top 10, top five TV show again. So the audience can be funny. You know, TV viewers and, and, and the like, very unpredictable, very fickle. So there are a lot of people's jobs being held in the balance, not just the cast, but the people who work behind the scenes. There were a lot of people who were who could have lost their jobs because of, of Suzanne's Greedy, greedy tactics. So they wanted to, the network wanted to keep Suzanne on the show due to the you know due to her popularity, and then at the same time they were out trying to find a new roommate to replace her. It was just a mess. It was a big scandal, and my mom was following it in the paper because the scandal was so big. It was being you know there are articles in the Houston Post, and she would read them and pass them over to me and let me read them as well. It was just a big big media frenzy, the whole Three's Company situation. But I think what really did it, because John Ritter and Don Knotts were initially on Suzanne's side. But when Suzanne began to go on Donahue and taught the TV guide and began to bash the show and the cast and the press, that's when they basically backed away. And she lost her friendship with John Ritter, which of course was devastating to her. Um, it got to the point where John nor Joyce would work. They would not work. They would not tape. They would not film if Suzanne Summers was on the set. So they were keeping the Chrissy character on the show. They had Chrissy making phone calls back in, calling, um, you know, from where, from her parents' house. And she talked to either Jack or Janet, but they kind of splice those bits together. Suzanne was not talking to John or Joyce. She was talking to uh, one of the uh, producers um, behind the scenes on the set. She was speaking to a dead telephone and John and Joyce would film their scenes and then they would put them together like they were really talking on the phone. But no, they were not talking. They were not communicating at all. And long story short, they did this for a while with Chrissy and the phone calls. But in 1981, Suzanne was officially fired from the show. And you never heard of or from Chrissy again for the rest of the show's run. Now, to replace Chrissy, they had to go and, you know, get a new roommate right away. So they went out and um, they brought in Jenny Lee Harrison. She was to portray Chrissy's cousin, Cindy, who was even more ditzier than Chrissy was. Because Chrissy, I liked Chrissy a lot in the beginning because Chrissy was ditzy, but she was not dumb. However, as the seasons continued to pass, Chrissy got dumber and dumber, and it just got to the point where it was annoying. Jack and Janet were literally acting as her parents, and it just was not funny. I mean, Chrissy was still adorable, but honestly, they were making her just too much of a child. All the loud crying and all that, like a little girl, like she didn't know left from right. They just ran that into the ground, and it became, it just 
it wasn't funny, you know. Um, but Cindy was always bumping into Jack and always they were always having act they were always having accidents together. She was always hitting Jack with the ironing board or with bottles of wine or slamming his hand into the door. There was always something going on with Cindy. I didn't have a problem with Cindy, but all of the accidents and the clumsiness, it just it wasn't funny. Um, but uh, Jenny Lee had not been an actress. This was her first acting job. She had been a cheerleader for the LA Rams, actually. So she had no experience. She came in. She actually, I mean, she did the best that she could, considering, all things considered. And I must say that during that season, 1980-81, some of my favorite episodes of Three's Company uh, you know, came about, like the episode when Jack was portraying his uh, fake twin brother, Austin, from Texas. And then there's the episode where Jack was trying to swear off lying, and that backfired. There was the episode where um, he was portraying this chef named David Miller, that backfired. And there was the episode where uh, Jack was being pursued by the jealous boyfriend of this girl that he met the Regal Beagle named April. And so Jack had to pretend to be dead, and they had a fake funeral for him and the like. So there were some great episodes during that season. During the Cindy um the Sydney Snow era. There were some great episodes during that time. So I think Three's Company dipped down to number nine or ten in the ratings. Might have gone down to maybe even as low as number twelve. It was still, you know, a top twenty show. It was still um very viable and very uh popular and still one of ABC's most high rate most highest rated shows. So um the producers, however, felt that Ginny Lee was a little bit in over her head and they wanted to get a more seasoned actress to portray the third roommate. So for the 1981-82 season, there was another casting call for the blonde roommate again. And they ended up getting Priscilla Barnes. Priscilla Barnes had been on a short-lived TV show on CBS during the 1978-79 season. I can't recall the name of the show, but it was some kind of show about life in California and, you know, um, all that. But um, she'd also been in episodes of Starsky and Hutch, Taxi, Love Boat. So she had been an actress and she was a good actress. So they brought her in as the new roommate, Terry Alden. Terry was a nurse. She was mature, a lot like Janet confident, self-assured, independent, self-reliant. Terry is honestly my favorite of the blonde roommates. Not a put down to Chrissy or Cindy, but I like the fact that Terry was an adult. They finally had three adults living in the apartment. And if you notice, after Terry moved in, the three had no more problems with paying the rent because Terry had a steady job, had a steady career, and of course that made a difference when it come when it came to, you know, of course, like is it paying the rent. Now they did keep Cindy around for one more season. They had Cindy move out of the apartment. She moved over to UCLA, moved on campus. She wanted to be a veter- veter- uh, veterinarian and they kept her around. She'd come by and visit the apartment. And, you know, so that they, you know, did keep around for, more, for one more season. But then after the 82, 81, 82 season, um, they let her go and she was never, you know, seen or heard from again. Um, same thing they did with the Ropers, same thing they did with Lana. The producers had a knack of doing that. When someone left Three's company, they were gone for good. Um, so anyway, um, Three's company went back into the... Uh, the ratings, the top 10 ratings, it went, you know, back up to being at the very top where it had been before with the uh, with the introduction of Priscilla Barnes. Now, Priscilla Barnes did not have the best time on Three's Company. There was an issue Hollywood story of Three's Company, I believe, that it debuted in 1999. As I've seen it a couple of times, it was on YouTube, but it's not there anymore. Priscilla stated in that E! True Hollywood story that those three years she was on Three's Company were the worst three years of her life. Now, I don't know if she meant just being on the show. I don't know if she meant professionally, alone, or personally, but that's what she said. And the reason why it had nothing to do with the cast or the character of Terry, 
it was about the producers of this show. The producers of Three's Company were pretty chauvinistic, pretty difficult for the females to deal with. Their favorite was John Ritter, and that was really who they focused on the most. That was the one that they had the most respect for. That was the one that they wanted to be spun off into his own sitcom. That was the one they really were trying to, you know, continue to keep on a high pedestal. The others just really kind of didn't matter. And so Priscilla didn't care for them from the beginning. And she actually requested to kind of be placed. If you, if you notice, during the Terry era, there were not a lot of episodes revolving around Terry. Terry basically was in the background. She was on like a side character, really. Not maybe in the background, but she was a side character. Most of the episodes during the Terry years focused on either Jack or Janet or just all three of them. Um, and that's because Priscilla wanted as little to do on that show as possible. She wanted as little to do with the producers as possible. So she did not want to be front and center. Like there were episodes, Chrissy had plenty of episodes or several, quite a few Chrissy episodes, but Priscilla did not want that because she couldn't stand the producers. And so she got along great with the cast. She and John uh, Joyce DeWitt in particular became the best of friends. They're still the best of friends to this day. But that's the only way that she could really handle being on the show was to not really be front and center very much. So Three's Company, of course, continued to do very well in the ratings. Still all the misunderstandings, the innuendo and the like. But by the 1983-84 season, which was season eight, the ratings did begin to fall a little bit. And some of the scripts and the ideas were starting to be recycled. For example, that season, Jack, Janet, and Terry found a little kitty on their front doorstep. And they were trying to hide it from Mr. Furley because there were no kids or pets allowed in the building. Well, in season one, the fourth episode had Jack, Janet, and Chrissy trying to hide a little puppy that Jack got from Larry from Mr. Roper. So... It was kind of like the writing was on the wall that Three's Company was kind of beginning to run out of steam. But the way that Three's Company was ended was very, very tasteless in the opinions of many and also in my opinion. John Ritter, they have been wanting, the producers have been wanting John to have his own sitcom for years, since 1979, but he wasn't interested in doing that. He wanted to stay in Three's Company. He was enjoying doing that show being comfortable he was comfortable there he didn't want to leave that but by 1984 he had changed his mind and he was ready to go ahead and try and do a spinoff so all of a sudden the rest of the cast was sent on hiatus for about two to four weeks john however was not on hiatus and the reason why is because the producers were getting his spinoff show ready They were getting a new cast together for that. They were redoing the set. They were making all the necessary changes for his upcoming spinoff. To the rest of the cast, they they had no idea. It was unbeknownst to everybody else on the show. So when the rest of the cast came back, they saw all these changes. And they noticed that it was basically a setup for John's new sitcom. It didn't go over very well with the rest of the cast, particularly Joyce DeWitt, because Joyce and John had been very good friends. They had been together since the second pilot in 1976. So they had been together through a, I mean, through all of it. And she was very hurt that no one had told her about this spinoff, including John. So she was very devastated by that, took it very, very hard. Didn't go well with her in particular. Um, they wrapped up Three's Company very, very hastily. All of a sudden, Jack meets and marries this uh, guy named Philip Dawson. And, you know, it was the wedding. I mean, Janet's parents were not there for the wedding. Janet's sister was not there. The Robers were not there. Cindy was not there. It was just very unrealistic, very hastily thrown together. All of a sudden, Terry is leaving town and she's going to move to Hawaii to continue being a nurse over there. They had no kind of plans regarding Larry or Mr. Furley. I guess they were just going to stay, you know, continue to stay there in the building. Um, Jack, of course, meets love of his life, Vicki Bradford, played by Mary Catterett. 
And Jack, after all the girls that he's been through, he's finally really in love and ready to settle down, wants to marry Vicky. She says no, but she says they can live together, which he, you know, go ahead and you know he goes ahead and goes along with. So they move in together. And you've got Vicky's dad in the picture, who was portrayed by Robert Mandan, best known as being having been Chester Tate on soap. Uh, Vicky's dad does not like Jack at all and doesn't like the idea of his daughter living with a guy. And so that's that's the tension that they have in the show there. But um, yeah, so Three's Company was hastily wrapped up and just basically just shipped off. And it was all about Three's a Crowd. Three's a Crowd, I watched Three's a Crowd and then I stopped watching it because I just, I couldn't stand Vicky. I hated Vicky as a matter of fact. I did not like that girl. I thought they could have done better for Jack than to put him with someone so annoying. But then I watched Three's Three's a Crowd again years later, just about maybe, I guess about maybe eight years ago or so. Uh, No, more about five years ago. I watched Three's a Crowd again from start to finish on Antenna. On, te- on antenna TV, and I reassessed Vicky, and I realized, well, she wasn't that bad. You know, she was okay. She was fine as, um, you know, Jack's girlfriend. But Three's a Crowd just was missing something. Something was just not there. I mean, John Ritter was a great actor. He won an Emmy for Three's Company and for Jack Tripper in 1984. He was a marvelous actor, a marvelous comedian, but he couldn't do it on his own. And he just needed. I think a better supporting cast than what he had. I think he needed a few extra people, maybe. I'm not really sure. They did have this really funny guy named Z who worked for Jack at, at his restaurant, Jack's Bistro. Um, he was the typical blonde surfer dude who, you know, is always at the beach, but he also worked for Jack. Z was the best thing about Three's a Crowd, to be honest. Uh, but Three's a Crowd, you know, was um, on only for one season. Um, ABC decided to bump three of the crowd in favor of different strokes because different strokes, of course, was on NBC, but it was canceled by NBC in 1985. So to give it one more season, ABC picked it up and canceled three of the crowd. So three of the crowd ended in 1985 or the 8485 season. And word has it that Suzanne Summers really wanted to be the new woman in Jack's life, but that wasn't happening. Uh, She even went to the producers and tried to, you know, work a deal out with them. But I mean, they weren't going to go along with that. John wasn't going to go along with it. It wasn't going to work out. So that idea was scrapped. Now, there are people who think that Jack and Janet should have hooked up. A lot of people feel that way. I have to disagree with that because I just see Jack and Janet as like brother and sister. I can't see them as being romantically involved. That's just me. I mean, who knows how it would have gone had they actually gone down that road. But um, they decided to, you know, give Jack a fresh, brand new, fresh start, you know, out all all out fresh start. Um, you know, Joyce wasn't invited to do Three's a Crowd. None of the cast except for Richard Klein appeared on Three's a Crowd, which I think was a mistake. I think they should have definitely had Mr. Furley show up at least one time. But for some reason, they did not. So, um I think they made some mistakes with that show. Um, Jessica Walter was on there periodically as Vicky's mother. Vicky's parents, of course, were divorced. So she, you know, she was always a good actress. So she was on there as Vicky's mom. And she and Vicky's dad go back and forth because they, you know, they did not get along very well. So, you know, those that wasn't a bad dynamic to feature. But again, something just was, an element was just missing. So, um it all ended in 1985, and um, unfortunately, there was never an on-air Three's Company reunion. Um, there have been some off-air reunions, off-screen, I'm trying to say reunions, um, but they never did anything on-screen. Now, John Ritter, when he ended up uh, on Eight Simple Rules years later, they did a skit, a spoof of Three's Company. Uh, the character, his character, Paul, dreamt the whole thing. And in the spoof, he was Mr. Roper. And the funny thing is, the hilarious thing about it is that Paul wakes up from his dream and he's glad that it was just a nightmare, that it was just a dream. He thinks he's lying beside his wife in bed, who is, of course, portrayed by Katie Seagal. But he winds up 
actually lie next to Don Knotts, who was a Mr. Furley character. So that was a hilarious scene, seeing the two of them back on TV together again, because they always, like I said, had an amazing chemistry. And seeing them on TV together again was absolutely wonderful. I think that's still on YouTube. Um, I would go and, if you want to see that, I would go and check, look for it. Hopefully it's still there. But it's absolutely hilarious to see. The spoof is funny, too. The Three's Company spoof is very funny. But the Don Knotts and John Ritter part is hysterical. So after Three's Company comes to an end, all of the actors on the show go on to do other things. Uh, they all keep their career as afloat. Joyce DeWitt did leave acting for a while to just kind of go and tour the world. The whole Three's Company, the way it ended thing hurt her so deeply. She just had to just kind of get away from acting, let it go for a while. And she just went around the world and began to travel. But... Um, Everyone else went on to do other things. Suzanne went on to do, she's the sheriff, and of course, step by step. She also became known as Miss Thighmaster. Um, like I said, she's a renowned author. She has written over 20 books, many of them New York bestsellers. I must say I admire Suzanne, the way that she didn't let her mistake on Three's Company in her career because she could have done that. But Suzanne was always a very smart businesswoman, always a fighter, very tenacious, and she didn't let that happen. She began to perform in Las Vegas, and she just kept her career going, and she's still out there today. So, uh, you know, I have to give her props for that. And uh, everyone else out there, you know, as well, uh, Jeannie Lee Harrison ended up on Dallas as Jarrah's cousin Jamie. Don Knotts went on to do the Andy Griffith Show reunion movie in 1986. He was on Matlock for a while with as uh, Ben Matlock's friend and neighbor Les. He did other acting jobs and act other material until he just was able to no longer work anymore. Priscilla Barnes kept acting. Um, Norman Lear, Norman Fell, not Norman Lear, Norman Fell, um, did a short-lived TV show with Lynn Redgrave on, a, on NBC called Teachers Only. Um, that, that didn't last very long, unfortunately. But he did guest spots here and there, and he was on an episode of Fresh, uh, The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Audra Lindley, of course, continued her acting career. She ended up being on Sybil, the sitcom Sybil on CBS, as Sybil Shepherd's mother. So everyone continued to act. Priscilla Barnes, Richard Klein. No one's career ended with the end of Three's Company. Um, it would have been nice had there been a reunion of some sort, but... I don't think, I, I read somewhere that John Ritter didn't want to do a reunion. I don't know if that's true or not. I need to check Chris Mann's book to verify that. But um, unfortunately, uh, for the A Simple Rules episode, John did initially want Joyce and Suzanne to come back, and they all do that together. But I don't know what happened. Either, I think, but they both declined, or one of them declined. I don't know what happened. But it's a shame that it didn't go as he wanted to. I mean, Don Knotts being back for it was fabulous, but it would have been nice to see he and the girls back together one more time because shortly after that episode was was taped and, and aired, John Ritter passed away suddenly at the age of 54 in 2003. Devastating shock for all of us, for the fans, for his family, loved ones, former castmates, I was absolutely floored by John Ritter's passing. And he's still very much beloved and missed today. If my math is correct, John would be 73 years old now. And I could see him still being in the business, still acting, still out there making people laugh, entertaining people. He did serious roles too. I mean, John didn't do all comedy. He did serious roles. I remember a TV movie he did in 1978 during Three's Company's heyday with uh, Carrie Fisher and Buddy Epson called Leave Yesterday Behind. Great movie. Wonderful film. I think it's on YouTube. I'm going to go after... I haven't seen it in years. I haven't seen it since the 70s. So I need to go and see if I can watch that again because it was a marvelous movie and it was a, it was a, a dramatic role. He was also in the movie Sling... I believe uh, Sling Blade with Billy Bob Thornton. He was in that. Another dramatic role. He did a TV movie with Alfre Woodard for NBC. Uh, he played a teacher who ended up getting Agent Orange and passing away at the end of the film. Again, great role. John Ritter was very good at drama. 
He was a funny comedian, but he could do drama. You remember he was on the Waltons as Reverend Fordwick before he even started Three's Company. And that, of course, was all drama. He was very good on the Waltons. So he was, you know, doing drama as well as comedy. And I know he would still be out there doing that today if he were still with us. 